All right, thank you for listening to this podcast. This episode of Literally is sponsored by Lexicon and Line. Case, tell us a little something about Lexicon and Line. Uh, Lexicon and Line it does three things. They, they are communications consultants. They teach professional business writing and speaking courses, and they are research and data evaluation experts. And you can find everything about Lexicon Online at lexicononline.com. Please give them a visit. And thank you so much for sponsoring this podcast, Lexicon Online. So if you need any help with your memoir services, I've started to help clients out. I do anything from full manuscript assessment for a flat fee. I do developmental editing for a page-by-page fee. And I do copy editing for another page-by-page fee. Uh, Please find any and all my services at casejohnson.com. Or you can find me on Readsy where I have an editor's account there as well. Thanks so much. This is Case Johnston. This is the Literally Podcast. We're podcasting today from Banyan Studios in the Monarch on Historic 25th Street in Ogden, Utah. We're talking with Brad Filan today. Um, when Brad is reaching it out to us from 24 hours ahead in time, actually. only. Uh, <laughs> where, where are you today? Like 12 hours. Right? Uh, oh, 12 hours. Yeah, right. I'm in, I'm in uh, Manila in the Philippines. It's 6 a.m. here. Yeah. Um, and so well, it's great. I think tomorrow's going to be a good day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Judging by Bradford, everything looks great. Yeah, I know, yeah. Um, so we're broadcasting from the Monarch today. Um, um, I was lucky enough to read um, stories from Brad's new... Is this your first collection or your second collection? When the, when the color started? Second collection of short stories and third book of fiction. Okay, and it's a great collection. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Bradford is from Raleigh, North Carolina. He's been a teacher since 2002 in a variety of locations across the globe, uh, namely... Owamboland, is that is that correct? Owamboland, Owamboland, yep. the Bronx, Dakar, Beijing, and he is now teaching high school English in Manila, where he lives with his wife, kids, and a, and dog Bear. He holds an undergraduate degree from Virginia Tech, a graduate degree from Lehman College, and he and he's an MFA awardee from with the University of Alaska of Anchorage. Uh, the author of the novel Autumn Falls and short story collections, everything is Inshallah Allah. Uh, Bradford's third book of fiction, When the Color Started, is out now with Tailwinds Press. Um, and we are so happy to have him. Brad reached out to me because we both shared uh, Valerie Minor as an instructor during our MFA. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, um, I, I, she was my first advisor at uh, Pacific University, and um, then she moved on up to Alaska, um, where I'm guessing where Brad uh, had her as well, correct? That's it. So, yeah, it's... it's <clears throat> um, just on, on social media, I saw that she had posted the interview and I was like, oh, wait, wait a second. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, she's a fantastic uh, teacher, professor, mentor, uh, yeah, as you know. Right? Yeah, and just kind, you know. That's the thing um, with me. I just felt she was just a really good, kind uh, instructor who uh, made me feel like my writing was valuable. And that's I think that's what writers need. Yeah, so it's great to hear from you. And um, uh Let's go ahead and get started with what you wanted to read today. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Um, so I'm reading from um, uh, one of the stories. And when the color started, I'm going to read the story. Part of the story is called WWKD. It's the second story in the collection. And um, this, uh, so what takes place, the main character, her name is uh, Joanne. Uh, it's told from first person point of view. And, and Joanne is a, is a high school student. Uh, and she has uh, she's basically grieving for her, her mother has passed away and she's, you know, finding it a, a, a difficult thing. But but she won't show it. She's one of these like very stoic 
individuals, uh, straight A kid. Um, so the story takes place in, in Beijing, China, uh, and, and Joanne goes to international school there. Uh, I happened to actually teach at an international school in Beijing at one, one point in my life. So uh, there's definitely some familiar ties there. So um, uh, Joanne uh, befriends a new student, and her name is Huja, and she's from Senegal. And uh, Huja just uh, really kind of helps her with this, this time. And so the story picks up just before they are going to go uh, have, have one of their teachers come in and talk to them about this uh, end of your uh, service project, if you will, a week without walls where they have to go out into the uh, Chinese uh, mountains and, and hillside and do some do some uh, adventure hiking and, and uh, the girls are not very excited about it, but it's going to be an important journey. So I'll pick up with the with that and and so uh, here we go. Whose is this? Who just said? It was a few weeks after Tabaski and a school gym bag was on her desk that wasn't hers. This wasn't unusual. Theft at our affluent school was virtually unheard of, so stuff was left everywhere. I was reading the Wind Up Bird Chronicle, waiting for everyone else to arrive. I shrugged. Not sure, I said, and kept reading. I was at the part where Toru is in Tokyo, sitting outside a donut shop, watching passersby. Uja played with the tags on the top of the bag. Oh, she said. I looked at her then. It's Billy Chen's gym bag. Huja's long fingers played with the zipper. Let's see how we can terrorize him. LOL, I said. She rummaged through and said, ew, look. She shoved her body in the bag toward me. It was typical stinky, sweaty high school boy gym bag stuff. Sneakers, shorts, wristbands, socks, but it was Billy Chin's, so it smelled like cunt dick. Gross, I said. Well, well, Huja. What do we have here? She took a pencil, reached in the bag, and lifted out a bundle of royal blue rubber WWJD bracelets. Everyone had one of those bracelets back then. Huja smirked. Aha, even more proof he's a fraud. I knew what Huja meant. Billy Chin was really a jerk, and so he couldn't be a Christian like his bracelet claimed. Mr. Lawrence wanted me to know I could talk to him, but I could tell he said that to make himself feel better. You, Lasher was strict and stern, sure, but let's face it, she was just a teacher who gave out a lot of homework. Dad was a successful engineer, but he didn't know how to talk to me. Mom called me her sweet, her tian tian, and said she loved me, but I didn't believe that either. Everything then felt like a fraud except for Huja. She went into her backpack and pulled out a black Sharpie. He needs an intervention, I nodded. Huja wrote over the J with the K. What would Huja do, I said. Damn straight. Mr. Loins entered the room then. Huja dropped the bracelet in the bag and zipped it closed. Ow! Mr. Loins howled. Two days, ladies, two days. Huja rolled her eyes one way and I rolled mine the other. Ah, he said again. Are you ready for the wild, Huja? The great outdoors, Joanne? Huja shot him a look. Either way, Mr. Loins said, the wild is ready for you. He started to stand in a tree pose then. Mr. Lawrence, who just said, I think we should be able to take our cell phones at least because nope, no cell phone, no laptop. The only thing electronic with us on the trail will be a battery operated GPS that you will have to read to make sure we're going the right way. Can't get lost in the wild, Huja. Otherwise, you know what will happen. Ow! 
What if it rains, who just said? Rain, we would only be so lucky. The rest of the class trickled in then. Mr. Lawrence projected maps and pictures of our destination. Some wilderness organization our school hired came in and showed us how to track and follow GPS coordinates, how to put up a tent, how to cook a camp, cook on a camp stove. They handed out pens and leather bound journals with thick paper. We want you to take full advantage out there, the camp director said. Immerse yourself in the wilderness. You'll be challenged, but you'll be better for it. He went on and on about what we had to pack, what we could and couldn't eat. Every what if scenario he could think of. Who just slipped me a note? This is so lame. I drew a mountain with a line of stick figures leaping off the ledge. One of the figures yelled, yep, in a speech balloon. The program director continued. He was shorter than Mr. Lawrence, and every piece of clothing he wore had some kind of nifty zipper. We're going out there with the no, with the leave no trace mentality. From his big backpacker's bag, he took out a handheld shovel, a roll of toilet paper, and a bundle of plastic baggies. We can't leave any trace of our being out there in the wilderness, and I mean nothing. The class looked around at each other. Uju looked at me. What? I shrugged. If you go number two, he finally said, it's coming back with you. He held up the shovel and toilet paper like it was some kind of some type of religious ceremony. It was chaos in the classroom then. Excuse me, Uju said, no way I'm picking up my poop and carrying it around for a week. All in the experience, Uju, Mr. Lawrence said, all in the experience. Cool. Thank you. This story, I I really enjoyed this story, probably because the voice of all the different characters were so different, you know. Um, And my first question was this, and this, you can completely just blow me off on this one if you want to. Um, But my first question is this, is did you write this one? I mean... Are there teachers out there that from that school that you used to teach at that might say, yeah, I am Mr. Loins um, or I am another teacher. Um, and in, in the classroom, personally, I feel like I am him a bit too cheesy and trying <laughs> way too hard for students. Um, but um, um, are there, are there, are there teachers that you use in that story that uh, might say, Oh, that's part of me. That, <laughs> Absolutely. And, um, <clears throat> I definitely, I definitely had to, uh, to, you know, I had, I had some readers and I, and I, you know, had to get some permission there, but absolutely. I mean, I think, I think, um, you know, if you, as, as a teacher, you know, you, you can't, um, it's hard to separate sometimes yourself, you know, uh, you, 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 um, you put so much energy into the lives that you uh, are with day in and day out, you know, how can that not, you know, seep into some of the, the, the stuff that you're working on, you know, whether it be fiction, nonfiction, whatever, you know. So I think, absolutely, I think throughout the collection, there's there's um, there's pieces of me, there's pieces of my friends, pieces of my mom, my dad, you know, and and uh, you, uh, you try to hide it, right? You try to shield it a little bit, but I think uh, I think the reality is those things are going to seep into your work. Yeah, um, and well, you know, especially if there's a teacher or a person or a character that just kind of sticks with you, right? I mean, and. Um, and where you, I mean, obviously being, you know, a Westerner moving East, I mean, to you are probably the sore thumb that sticks out more than, than anybody else. And that has to influence not only the characters that you bring into your stories, but it, it has to probably influence the way in which you view other people in the world and how they're navigating. 
uh, a place where you know uh, where 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 a lot of students go to schools who are expats. I mean, is that something that influences a lot of your writing? That that sore thumb feeling yourself, or yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think <clears throat> I think that's part of the reason why uh, initially, you know. You 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 travel. Anybody travels. You 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 want to you want to you want to feel. You want to try to understand what it feels like to be that sore thumb. And I like how you said that. It's it's um you want to you want to be able to, or at least me. I mean, I I've always wanted to travel just to kind of put myself out there, get out of you know, uh, out of out of a comfort zone, if you will. And 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 I think that those things um are certainly prevalent in the expat you know community. Um, Certainly in China, I've had different experiences based on where I've lived. Um, Senegal, I absolutely was, uh, you know, a, a white male. I, I was minority, right? And then in China, same. Um, here in Manila, there's a little bit more expat. There's a little bit more connection to a, to U.S., um, so it's not as prevalent. But absolutely, in some of the other places I've been, absolutely, that's that's the case for sure. How does that change your craft? Do you think um, when you said, or do you think it has? I mean. Compared to when you were you were writing, you know, well, you guys have been there for thirteen years, or overseas for thirteen years. Um, were you writing before that? Um, was that the before the MFA or after the MFA? That kind of makes a difference too. And do you think if you were writing here in the states and you had never left, that your craft or that your fiction would be different? And that's a big, pretty broad question. And I mean, and it's a really big what if, but uh, those are great. Those yeah. are fantastic questions. I think um, uh, all of that resonates with me for sure. Um, so the um, the MFA, the the first short story collection I wrote, everything is inshallah. That was before my MFA. And uh, when I when I went, when my wife and I we moved to Senegal, I was just kind of getting into writing kind of more seriously. And um, I, I, you know, I challenged myself. I was like, I'm gonna write a short story, one a month. Like, I'm just gonna knock it out. Just try to really get into it. And so I think I did that. And we we were there for four years. Um, and and towards the end of it, I was like, well, you know, and I was really trying to 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 write not the not a short story from, you know, the white male American perspective. I was trying to like really uh, immerse myself in a way that I could try to have a closer view to. Um, you know, Senegal to Wolof. Um, my wife speaks French. I, I took Wolof lessons, and and I was really trying to purposefully uh, write some stories that was not like the white male gaze onto Senegal, but more so from a from a different angle. And so, um, you know, I, I put together the, these stories, and then and then at the end of it, though, I really wanted to I wanted to become an even better writer, and that was that was a a, a reason why I decided to pursue an MFA. Um, I didn't necessarily really have a network of writers around me uh, in Senegal when I was just kind of, it was kind of just, I was on my own, just writing, writing, writing. Maybe I had a friend or two that I would send stuff to, but the MFA allowed me to build a network and um, of friends, like you said, uh, with uh, Valerie and many of my other professors and uh, a group that you could trust. And they really pushed me and so this is at the time when I was in, in, in China at that point. And um, my craft absolutely improved, partly because of the MFA. I think partly because of um, 
continuing to be a, be abroad and to explore, you know, what what does it what does it mean? What do these stories mean to different places, uh, places and people around the world? Uh, and and just to answer your second question, there, I know it's kind of a lot, and I'm kind of rambling, but I, I I think that for for me personally, my craft, the writing has uh, me being abroad has significantly influenced the the, the craft, as you say, uh, of me as a writer. And I'm not sure if I was in America, I would I would uh, be be writing the same thing. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's. I think it's definitely something that I saw within your work. Um, and, but just because I mean, reading this story, um, and then the other story that I one or two, two or three other stories that I read that if you want to look at that one, I actually would love to have you read from the other one that you suggested you might read. Um, and that was the informal letter written to by a student to her English teacher, whilst having too much time left over in gym two after finishing the SAT way too early. And the reason why I would love that just for, for, for those listening to this, um, is because, you know, I mean, I've read a lot of short story collections, you know, um, we all have, haven't we? I mean, we, that's what we do. We read and, you know, I mean, you teach, so it's like you have to read to teach and you delve into all these different things. And, um, a lot of short story writers, even some of the best ones, from story to story, their voice, the voice of the protagonist, uh, doesn't change that much. And what I was so, what I enjoyed so much with your collection was the difference between these voices. So we get these voices within WWJD of these, uh, from the perspective of a young female who is struggling because she lost her mom, her dad's not present. A friend comes into a friend comes into the classroom. They go on this this adventure together and then out there in the wilderness because she has somebody else, she's able to see that um, she's able to move on without her mom and that her mom loved her. It was a really great way to end uh, the short story and it, it was done in such a concise way. I'm not concise at all. That's why I don't write short stories. Everything I write that turns into a novel and then it sits on my desk and never, never goes anywhere. But, (laughs) but, but the, um, the different voice, you know, from this young woman who's been separated, um, probably close to your experience in the sense that she's been separated from the Western, you know, she's from San Francisco. Um, but she's been separated from the U S culture for quite a while and thrown into this kind of expat culture. Um, and then we go with the next story, the letter story, who a, a young woman from the United States, from the South, writes this letter, and the voice is completely different and f- refreshing and funny. Um, and it gets, I mean, I'm not going to, we're not going to read the whole thing because we, because of time, but I, I hope that people will pick up the book for this reason to find out what happens at the end of this story. Because at the end of the story, I was kind of floored. I, I was like, that, that was so well done. Um, and it delves into a lot of stuff that Bradford and I had gone back and forth with over email because we both written for the Good Man Project, looking at kind of toxic masculinity, looking at Black Lives Matter, looking at social justice issues, looking at, you know, um, the way in which we need to improve as, as men in this world. Um, and this story really speaks to those, the essays that I read of Brad's that spoke, uh, that, you know, hint to that overall kind of movement of where masculinity belongs and where, and, and in, in this world. So I'd love it if you read just like a, the first few 
paragraphs of that just just to show readers or listeners that difference in voice and and hopefully get them to pick up this book to to purchase this book in any way that they can yeah i would i would be honored to and thank you for that and um i think this is um <clears throat> this as far as voice i think this is one of the stories that i wrote the the quickest um i and um you know again it's, it's something you know based on something i was going through uh as a teacher at a school, um, something that that's that's been weighing heavy on me again when I like first started writing short stories in Senegal to to, you know, you know, eight, nine years later, like you said, trying to think about the world as far as, OK, I, I'm, I'm a writer, but I'm also kind of consumed at this point with this thing of toxic masculinity and what does it mean? And so I think the, the, there was there was some catharsis with writing this, and it came really quick. But yeah, I'll, I'll sorry now I'm kind of babbling. Here we go. No, and I agree, and I think <clears> that and the catharsis comes for the reader too, at the end, you know, and that's hard to deliver, um, especially um, and before he, before Brad reads is we start with a lot of humor here, and it's funny and it's wordplay and it's real, and it felt like a it felt like a young person trying to move in to a difficult subject in any way in which she could through, through just babble. Right. Um, yeah. and, but it means something. All right, go ahead. Sorry. Dear Mr. Sturdivant. This is Amanda from English 12. I know letters don't usually have titles like the one above, but you always say we should give a clear title to everything we write. So there you go. I'm only typing this now because when I finished handwriting the draft of this right after 1250 on scrap paper, our exam proctor, this old lady who wore everything wool and smelled like fart dust said we couldn't take any papers out of the room, even our scrap paper. And I really wanted to finish this because I have to finish what I start no matter what. In case you're wondering, fart dust is a term Jeremy Russell made up. At least he said he made it up. Fart dust is like perfume, as Jeremy Russell puts it. It mists from your anus and sticks to your clothes so it follows you wherever you go. And that's a direct quote. It's not too awful smelling like a stink bomb. I mean, fart dust didn't, but it is more sort of lingers like a malodorous shadow. That's a high level SAT word. Sometimes I get a whiff of fart dust when I hug my grandma and that makes me afraid to get old. Jeremy Russell is about the grossest boy I've ever met, but at least he's nice most of the time and honest. You know, he won't hurt you. That good there? Or? No, let's do the Will's chapter. It's it's my it's fun. You might as well. All right, all yeah. right. I love that. I, I got the Will's. The Will's. Yeah, the Will's chapter. <laughs> yeah, I I got kids feel? that drop that fart dust all over the house. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about the word Will's? I feel like it's a word that people probably either love, hate, or are confused about. I get it though. Will's is just the British way of saying wow, which is to say it's the fancy pants fancy pants way of saying wow. The opposite of something fancy pants to say would be, I reckon. I wonder what British people would say to that transitive verb, Mr. Sturdivant. I can think of about a million things people around here say that would confuse the mess out of British people in the same way Wills confuses the whole of Wake County. Maybe that's why we won the American Revolution, or maybe that's why the British lost. Either way, Wills was, Wills was sitting there on the, one of the reading comprehension questions of the SAT. There was a passage from something one of the Bronte sisters wrote. When I read this story, and we'll get to the title story 
afterwards, you know, um, and I think that one direct, directly, directly links to uh, some of your, your essay work um, as a father and as a person. And with this, I think this is this 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 story feels format wise David Sedaris like in the sense that it starts funny. We're looking at life. Um, um, we're moving. We're using words that uh, the, the play all over each other. And then we end heavy. You know, David Sedaris always says, end heavy, you know, with your essays. And that's what he does. He makes you laugh. He makes you think. And then he says, end heavy. And this is how that this story uh, really, really works. Um, and at the same time, and I hope you pick it up because I, I don't want to give away the ending. At the same time, Brad does not nail down exactly what he wants you to think with the end of the story. It's not like you have to feel this way. There is there is room for the reader to, you know, think about things for quite a while afterwards. And where do this where does the protagonist lie within these this world? And um and where are all those gray lines in life that uh that we have not figured out yet? as a human species, um, even though we try. And so that's why I thought, I thought the brilliance of the story was, was that you're cheering for this protagonist. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but at the end you still have to think and go, wow, this, what world are we living in? And why, why is, why is this necessary? Um, you know, does that make sense? Why is it necessary? She must do this. And it's because the world she's been placed in and that's, it's, you know, that's a, that's a hard thing to, to, to grapple with. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, um, I think as well, um, it, it's, it's really interesting to, um, like, kind of reflect upon writing these stories after the fact, because I, I have to admit, you know, and I, I don't know, every writer has their own way or whatever, especially with, with fiction, but I'm not sure what I was really intending when mm -hmm. I started that story. And I think that I was setting out, I was comfortable in a voice, and I was having fun. And I realized, though, like you said, you know, brilliant words of, of Sedaris, you know, it, it's got to be more than just kind of having fun. And, and so whatever, whatever, you know, took me to that point in that story, you know, I'm not sure in the moment, but thinking about it now, um, I'm glad that, you, that, that readers can see that. And I think that there, there's a little bit of me in all the characters mm -hmm. in that story. Um, there's a little bit of me with the protagonist trying to figure out the way there's a little bit of me there there's there's uh, and, and and hopefully that for readers they will see that as well there is absolutely a victim in this story and then there's also the yeah. the perpetrators and so mm -hmm. uh i you know i think i think uh reflecting on that you know th there's a little bit of me in all of those and and um like you said hopefully a reader can can um absorb that and think about it yeah well i think you're absolutely right in the sense that if there wasn't humanity in each of them that could be you or it could be somebody you know or whatever, then the story would be flat. You know, you would immediately just say, well, okay, then they lost and that's good. And, and they're glad the perpetrators are, you know, in trouble. Um, but by giving people humanity, you kind of say, it's not, it's not so easy. <laughs> you know, it's not so easy. Um, and that makes the, that, I think that made the story so much more layered than it could have been, you know, if it was just like, mm -hmm you know, bad guys here. Yes, of course they are. Um, but there's a lot more layers to it. Yeah. So I, after I wanted to, I did want to talk about the, uh, uh, when the color started, um, as, as the title, uh, story first off. And I, this always just, 
this always intrigues me um, just because I've never written short stories. I've written one short story and it was awful and I've never tried short stories. Uh, I just keep writing. Um, and, but this is just like for, these are just like, you know, process questions. Why, why picking, why did you pick when the color started as the title story? I mean, that's just something that people don't think about when they talk about publishing. Um, and they think that it just happens and where, and it's, but it's, but it's placed last in the book. I mean, was there thought into that? Was that your publisher's choice? Was that your choice? Um, where did, how did that come about? Yeah, actually the, the original, um, that's a really good question. The original, um, title of the collection was father like lion, which is one of the later stories, but Mm -hmm. it's not the last one. And I felt like that title, you know, and that story is very much about, um, fatherhood, Mm-hmm. Um, and while I think that the, the book overall, you know, is about that, I, 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 I think that it, it, I think that the last story there, there's, um, when the colors started, I think there's a certain innocence that, um, I think is really important to, to hold on to. And I think that, um, it, it's, um, I, I, I like the images the imagery of of uh the colors um being a positive the color well you know spoilers here but the colors of of fruit uh that 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 this young boy finds that the color kind of uh the color diversity kind of saves his his existence and i and i thought that that was a more poignant you know a, a clear overall kind of title to hold the collection together um, rather than the, the first, you know, father like lion and not that all the, the, the stories have to do with race um, or identity, but um, certainly in the last year, you know, this book came out in October, 2020, but you know, it, and it, it kind of in the, in the, in the final stages of it was, you know, in a very rough 2020. Uh, and and I, I felt like, that title would would be appropriate for the the time and also the essence of the collection as a whole. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a great story. It is hopeful and it's got some it's got mysticism to it and it's got this kind of like you know magical realism in it. And uh, I'm gonna I'm going to be a spoiler with it. So it's about this young man who's uh, left home alone from um, and an, an elderly man a neighbor. Uh, leaves him with some dry fruit and says, "You save, you know, here's some fruit." It's it, there. His mother and the boy say, "Looks, dad. He looks dead. It's not dad at all." And, um, and people, you know, from you know local government come to check in and say, "You shouldn't be home alone here." And but the man who gave it to him said, "This is going to save save you guys someday. This this plant's going to save you guys someday." And they're like, "Okay, whatever." Um, but then the mom leaves for and is gone for a while, and they're like, "You shouldn't." You know, the government comes in and says, "You shouldn't be here." Um, but in the end, this, this, this fruit, this plant grows and consumes the basement with beautiful fruit. And, and the boy runs out and gives it to these, to the police officer who is there to take him. And his mom shows up and they, and they're all there at the same time. And they're, they're eating these different colorful flute fruits and they're all happy and they're able to just kind of move on with life. And it's a, it's an uplifting, optimistic ending. Um, so that's, and, um, there's a lot more to it than I can give than I can give to you here. Um, you'll have to buy the book to read it. Um, but yeah, it does. It, 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 
and and it all begins with with the young boy who's mixed race, and he he asks his teacher, you know, looking at black and white photos, where do the colors come in? Uh, where do the colors start? And and that that thematically, of course, ends at the end when there's this kind of like bounty of fruit and happiness when all of those mm. colors are exposed. Where did this come from? I mean, again, like I said, like I love it with I love it with short story writers just to ask like. You know, is this one of those ones you sat down and started writing or did it or did this one have more of a, I don't know, prepared vision uh, when you jumped in? Man, good question again. And I, I love how you broke it down, actually. I, um, uh, the way you described it, is, it was really beautiful. So thank you for that. Um, I, um, a few, you know, it, I guess it, it did kind of start uh, personally. Like I, I have this vision of asking my mom, looking at pictures in a hallway you know, looking at just being confused. And I don't know how old I was. I, I remember this. I've asked my mom about this a hundred times. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. But <laughs> I, I, I I very much remember <clears throat> looking at like black and white pictures on the wall and looking at color pictures. And I'm like, mom, when did the colors start? And she's like, what do you, you know, she thinks I'm crazy. And and so I, I don't know if that happened or not, but I that's that memory has stuck with me. And, you know, as writers do, right? You kind of hold on to things, right? You hold on mm-hmm. to either something you hear or you, you eavesdrop and you hold on to something. And, and for whatever reason, that that came back to me at, at whatever point when I was writing this story. I think um, I had, I, the, 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 the original story started with a surrogate mother and I can't remember what, I'll have to dig that. Like you said, you, uh, I have piles of stories that don't, don't go anywhere, but it, something mm-hmm. about a surrogate mother was interesting to me. And then I don't know what happened. A good, a really good friend of mine who's also a, fantastic writer uh alan barstow he he um he read he read the story and he's like oh you should read um this uh joyce joyce carol Oates story and i oh i'm 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 at a blank now i can't think of the the story title i'm embarrassed but uh it, it essentially it's it's a, a um a young girl is kidnapped uh and it plays out this this whole thing but the the way that it was written i read it and i uh, structurally it something something clicked with me and I, and I said, all right, I'm going to turn this story into something else. And, and that, that's just kind of the, <clears throat> the process for, for me a lot of times is getting out a draft, sitting on it, reworking it, reading something, reading, 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 reading influences the writing that I do so, so much. Uh, and so, you know, how does it end up becoming what it becomes? I, I'm not sure if I have, you know, a definite answer. I, uh, I, I, I think again, um, some of the original drafts, there was this kind of crazy fruit that ended up saving the day. And I, I maybe hung on to that for whatever reason. So, um, you know, I do have also, I have uh, two children, you know, mixed race. And, and I wonder, you know, again, it's not in the moment, I wasn't thinking this, but I wonder if I was trying to see my son a little bit, maybe in, in the boy, uh, not necessarily the same situation or scenario, mm-hmm. but just to see uh, you know, see a, see a, a son that, uh, see a character that looks like my son in a story. And, and, and how does that, you know, I can't, I can't not think about my son when I'm writing, you know, it's just sure. going to seep into the story some way. So that's kind of a long winded response, but. No, and it makes, it. makes so much sense, you know, I mean, but I think it's good for writers, especially cause I share these with my students. Um, so I, th- it's good for budding writers to hear, writers like yourself say, I don't know, you know, I mean, it could be this and it could have been that, but it came together in the end because I think, 
you know, I think budding writers, sometimes they feel like we've got it all together and we don't have it all together, especially no when, we're, when we're starting work, when we're just jumping into work, you know, I mean, and I mean, you, you know, I, I mean, and that's a good thing to hear, you know, and it's a good thing, obviously, to admit to ourselves sometimes that, wow, where did it come from? I don't know, but it ended up, it ended up, it ended up, it ended up, it ended up good, you know, and, and I think we forget that every time we start something new, don't we? We're like, I'm scared to death of this. It's probably going to be crap. Um, but you have to tell yourself, well, I've done this before and you know, some of it wasn't crap. Some of it tended up to be good stories and it came from where I don't even know. Um, and I think it's art, it's art. Right. And I mean, you, you know, you, you always take a risk. You, you, you always take a risk with with art and, you know, I hear you saying, I I try to tell this to my students all the time, uh, you know, that if you're not taking risks, it's not, it's probably not worth it, Mm -hmm. you know, um, especially in art, especially in writing. Um, you know, you look, it, if you're not taking a risk, if you're not trying to be vulnerable, um, one of my really great mentors said, um, if it, if real writing costs you something, right. And so, you know, you as an educator, and I think you're absolutely right. We, I I try to show and tell my students, you know, uh, the struggles and the difficulties and just, just owning it. And I don't know where it comes from. You know, I'm not, you know, Mm-hmm. You, you you keep working at it and that's it. You just revise, 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 you keep working at it. Yeah. I think it's good for everyone to hear. You know, I think I teach, I'm teaching basically virtually online now because of COVID and, and I don't know how many times I go into just give yourself a chance to write a crappy draft because you yeah. can't work with nothing, but you can write, but you know, just give yourself that shot and take all the pressure off yourself to be, to be good. You know I mean? Right. I mean, that's, that's too much pressure for any writer at any level to, to feel, um, yeah, we're almost wrapping up, but I wanted, I did want to talk about the, the about, about the essays in, in Good Men Project because I really, really enjoyed them. And the, the, crazily enough, the way I wanted to approach them, though, is how almost prophetic they were. You know, I mean, they were both written. But the first one, um, Father's White Privilege, was August twenty third, two thousand nineteen, um, and of course, the, you know. Um, it's about your fear as a father, um, um, about how your son will have to navigate this world differently than you do, um, and how prophetic that is to what came the next year, what, you know, and then all of a sudden you have an essay, uh, the, the, the next year after that in 2020 of, of June, that it's like that you guys were, you and your family were able to, you know, stand outside and watch the first, you know, Black Lives Movement unfold in front of you in California, I believe. Looking at those essays, you can look at them any way you want to and talk about them. I think they're both very powerful. And, you know, essays are kind of where I I make my living. Um, and I just really enjoyed both of them so much, but enjoy them in a way that um, to be able to see the world from, obviously from an expat perspective, but more importantly from your worry as a father, um, and looking at the United States, is there, is there something that you could share with us that I don't know? I don't even know what my question is. Share with us in a way, looking from abroad about everything that's happened over the last year, are there budding fruits? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, go, it's up yeah. to you. Any way you want to I'm, talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I thank you again for, for reading and, and, um, <clears throat> you know, offering insight to, to those essays. I, uh, I to, to sort of, I'll get to the question, but it's sort of backtrack a little bit. I think both those essays were written 
in part when, uh, you know, my family were, were on vacation. So I was actually in America. And going back to the previous question you had about if I was in America, do I think I would be writing? Usually when I go home, I, I rarely can really sit, get with fiction. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, um, I, I tend to either write a blog post or a personal essay that usually sits somewhere or, or doesn't, or, um, you know, I, I met, uh, or not just through email exchange, I might, I met, uh, Michael Kasten mm -hmm. several years back and, and I just kind of shoot, shoot things to him. And he's like, Oh yeah. You know? And so I, you know, in 2019, I, I, I definitely remember it was a tough summer in, in our hometown Long Beach. Um, there was a shooting in our neighborhood, um, of a, uh, you know, um, a 50, 55 year old black man. Uh, he was just at a, at a uh, barbecue at a park, you know, the park that, that um, and, and I would, we take our kids to, and, and it was very much a, uh, a, a hate crime. And, um, you know, just trying to make sense of that, um, my, my wife's family, uh, just trying to listen to stories, listen to, um, not just listen to stories, but, but be, a family member and and try to sit with people's pain uh it it's always to me humbling and i uh i am aware of privilege that i have and and i and i want to i have had in my life and i want to write about that at any way that I can to, to, uh, not in a way that's like a white man's burden, but in a way to just, just, uh, again, be vulnerable with it and, and try to confront it. And so, you know, your, your, your question is there budding fruit? I, I, I mean, as an educator, as a teacher, I, I hope and pray there is, you know, I mean, I think, I think this, this last year in my classroom, I've tried to push, push topics and conversations, in, in a way that maybe I haven't before. And so, you know, I think, I think it sounds cliche, but I think it's always right with the, with the youth, with the kids as, as teachers, how can we, how can we help to make that change? I think it's absolutely a, a reality that, that, um, that is our, that's our job, right. As teachers, yeah. especially teachers of humanities, teachers of, of writers, uh, that that's, that's the goal, right? Yeah, I think so. And, um, you know, I just really appreciated your lens, looking through your lens for both of those subject matters. And um, I think the more people see more lenses, the, you know, the, the broader the lens is going to be. And I think that's a really, really good thing. I just appreciated reading them. I'm glad you sent them my way. And Mike Kasdan's a great guy to work with. And it's funny how, how small the writing world is, you know, um, that uh, we, you know, you, you're over in Manila and we know a few people that, have, you know, um, which is what I think is really, really cool. Um, this is Case Johnston. This is a literally podcast. Today we were talking with author uh, Bradford Filan um, from Manila. He is a day ahead of us, um, so he could probably tell us, you know, who's going to win the jazz game tonight. Um, and, you know, no, um, they don't play tonight. Um, but uh, uh, no, so it was a great speaking with you, and um, I really appreciate you sending me your work. It was. Um, I'm probably, I'll probably, honestly, there are things that I will bring into my classroom next year. And I think that these voices, because of a lot of them are 
uh, voices of young people and the voices seem so authentic to me that this is a book that I might, I'll probably have my students read, which is really, really cool. And That's it, incredibly it, humbling. Thank you well, so much. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, it, I think it's a, it, it's Valerie Miner's a great writer, but right now in her career, like with her most recent book, a lot of her, her protagonists are older, um, which I don't know if a lot of my students would relate with. And I love her. I love her characters. To me, I really, you know, it's like we're in the middle there, and we're kind of like, oh yeah, her characters. I love them. It's like kind of like this, seeing, you know, seeing into the to life layer lens, but. Um, yeah, I think these characters in these books would really resonate with with my students it, it, because I don't know if Brandon knows this, but I'm I'm stepping away from the collegiate teaching and I'm jumping full time as a as a high school creative writing teacher next year, and I'm oh cool really excited about it. Um, I, I didn't know that was official. Yeah, it's official, and uh, I think I'm really really excited about it. I've um, the teacher at my high school who's been there forever and people love is finally retiring, and so I'm gonna try to wow. fill, yeah try That's to awesome. try to fill some really big shoes but he changed my life he was my humanities instructor my english instructor um and he is the reason why i went into writing um or went into english at least and so that's what i'm hoping to do when i go there next year i don't know if that's I can awesome fill, yeah full circle i know yeah. and you know i hope so and maybe i'll even t- teach my son in a few years so um so yeah so i'm gonna take that i think brad's book would work really well in that classroom it's a catholic school so private catholic school so i can teach whatever i want to um (laughs) no no restrictions but thanks so much for joining us um and i hope you'll keep in touch this was really really fun cheers absolutely it's five o'clock here so yeah (laughs) (laughs) we got the high west yeah yeah there you go Um, this has been great i i I so much appreciate it and i i I love uh, i love the the work you guys are doing with the literary podcast with with banyan collective and and um Thank it's you. such an honor to be connected uh, with with dedicated artists. So thank you guys. In case I, I think you got a book coming out too, right? Twenty twenty one. First weekend of October, twenty twenty one. Yeah. Cool, and man. It, yeah, and it's like you were talking about. It's like there's in that in that book. It's it's all about people I know, really. You know, I mean, and there's part yeah. of me in all of it, and um, it's a re reimagination of my grandma and grandpa Cordova Chavez that side, and and kind of what they would have gone through in the the dust bowl kind of take them and throw them into the dust bowl and the in the world war two and stuff like that and see what my grandparents would live like on the page. And so wow. I'm excited about that's it. Awesome. There was a lot of research, that's but that's the nonfiction person in me that I can't not do tons of research. So hopefully yeah, I cool. hopefully I don't bore the hell out of people. Um, I'm, sure, I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure you have honored. I'm sure you've honored your ancestors, your family with that. That's, that's I hope so. I think that they would have smiled. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the well because there's a lot of goddammits and holy hell and, and my grandma cussed like a sailor and so uh, <laughs> you know so she's all the way in that so yeah I appreciate it um, right. and thanks so much for joining us yeah thank you guys it's been great thank cool. you cheers cheers